0: You're listening to Women Leading Prevention Science, where we host candid conversations with some of the most accomplished women in the prevention science field. I'm Sarah Hargrove, a public health analyst at RTI International and a master's in public health student at the University of Maryland. As I move through my early years as a prevention scientist, it's an honor to speak with these inspiring female leaders in the field. This podcast was developed as part of the NIH Helping End Addiction Long-Term Initiative or the Heal Prevention Cooperative. The views expressed in this podcast are those of the participants and not the official views of NIH, the NIH Heal Initiative, NIDA, or the participating institutions and organizations. Today, I'll be talking with Hannah Labounty and Bethany Livingston about how they found their way to their current roles in prevention science and their experiences partnering with and serving Indigenous populations. Let's get started. Thank you both so
1: much for joining me today. Hannah, could you please introduce yourself and your current work? My name is Hannah Labonte. I am a licensed clinical social worker. Um, I work for Cherokee Nation. I am the clinical supervisor over our HERO program, which is Children's Pediatric Behavioral Health Services. Wear a couple more hats over here, but I won't bore you guys with the details. Thank you so much. Bethany, could you do the same?
2: Hi, I'm Bethany Livingston. Uh, I'm Associate Director for Research Projects at Emory University in the Rollins School of Public Health. Um, I'm currently uh, working on a grant partnered with Cherokee Nation Behavioral Health, um, but I have worked with Cherokee Nation Behavioral Health over the past 10 years on previous projects as well.
0: Thank you so much. Bethany, I understand you started your prevention work in a more individual facing clinical setting before finding your way into academia?
2: Yes, so I actually started my career in uh, research at the University of Florida. And my first position was in the College of Medicine. Um, But I worked as um, a lab manager of a clinical pain research lab. Um, So we worked one-on-one with individuals who were experiencing chronic pain. Um, And we worked on a variety of Research projects from more basic science of trying to figure out why certain individuals experience chronic pain long term and others don't, um, but also to the treatment and treatment side as well. Um, And I was there for a bit, um, and for myself, um, when I had the opportunity to transition into public health, into more of a larger scale prevention research focus, um, I jumped at the chance because the for me, the working one-on-one with individuals that were so far down the path of struggling in their life mm-hmm. um, was difficult. And so having the opportunity to move further upstream um, into larger scale prevention to hopefully have fewer people end up in the position um, of the, the clients I was working with um, was appealing to me. And so that was one of the large impetus for for that switch for myself. I know I've been in the research end of things for
0: a while and sometimes I realize that it doesn't feel personal enough or I don't feel like I'm not getting the same kind of spark to keep doing the work because I'm not working with those folks.
2: And I will say I, I am very lucky in the, in the projects that I've been a part of with Cherokee Nation Behavioral Health. I'm a very hands-on project manager and so I, I get to still go out into the field and be there and be present. And I think if I didn't have those pieces, it would be very easy for it to feel too abstract and too removed and lose that sense of kind of the purpose and the impact that we hope the research is, is having. I know, Bethany, you said that you're in a staff role, not a faculty mm-hmm. role. Is that correct? Correct. I, um, across three um, institution of higher education over the course of my career I have have stayed in staff positions um, rather um, and I have always been staff rather than faculty Um, however as my career has grown and I have advanced in my role um, I uh, am at a a rather high staff level position at this point. Um, but within university settings there is a lot of structural differentials between um, faculty and staff. Um, everything from uh, different benefits um, different structures and how your positions are managed, um, how your promotions are managed. I have seen that a lot of times the the most talented uh, individuals in staff positions within university settings often either end up leaving the university systems or they leave go get a phd and come back as faculty Mm -hmm. Um, very few kind of stay long term and i think there's there's really good structural reasons for why that is pushing out talented individuals and i think that's a shame um the flip side is is As staff, I have had the ability to, over the last 10 years, since I had my first child, I have had the ability to negotiate um, partial effort positions. Uh, Mm -hmm. And so the ability to have that balance of being able to come in and say, um, I only want to work 75% time. I can still do what you need me to in that time period. Um, but I don't think I would have been able to have those same conversations as a faculty member that I have been able to negotiate as staff. That's the, the positive of being able to kind of push for more of those boundaries and balance. I appreciate you highlighting that dynamic. It's not one that I feel like I've
0: heard much about the intricacies of. Hannah, you've mentioned you've also been working to find that balance of being kind of half in the individual facing work and half Mm -hmm. in the world of prevention. Um, What has that been like?
1: Um, It's been interesting to say the least. Um, I've got a social work background. Um, Obviously, I'm a licensed clinical social worker. I started off in child welfare. And actually, that was my first interaction with research projects. I think it was maybe one of the first projects that Bethany was on as well with Cherokee Nation Um, actually got called up because they were um, doing some research on uh, alcohol use and um, lots of places around our reservation selling to underage folks without even checking their licenses, different stuff like that. Um, Me being a person that looks a little bit younger (laughs) than what I am. um, I was recruited when I was in child welfare and that's kind of when I Um, had my first interactions with the research side of things, and it was fascinating to me. I always knew from a young age I wanted to be a therapist. Um, I wanted to work with young kids. That's what I wanted to do. Um, But seeing the other side of things and seeing that there wasn't a lot of research opportunities within tribal settings for lots of different reasons. I know that history is very long and very complicated, um, but kind of got a little taste and something I didn't really think about much until um, I took over This role and got involved in this project again.
0: That's a great point. I think I've been kind of teetering the space between social work and public health for a few years now. I'm still not quite sure where I'll land. My undergrad was sociology and child abuse and neglect, which was out of the School of Social Work. And so I think I liked having theory, but then also a very, again, hands on understanding of clinically what was happening and case management. Um, And now I'm pursuing a master's in public health, which is. More meta, it feels like more policy oriented, and I'm drawn to that. Um, but I still feel very torn.
1: Well, and I think you know, Bethany mentioned it. You kind of mentioned it too. Um, one of the reasons why I loved, you know, being a therapist is having that hands-on. Like I'm in it in the nitty-gritty. Anything else feels too much removed for me. Um, although I'm an introvert and very much a people person, and I like to interact with folks on a one-to-one level. Um, and so it is difficult because the research and the day de- the data aspect of it really excites me i'm like oh my gosh this is amazing and stuff that we're you know figuring out can be really helpful for native american populations indigenous populations but at the same time um, i think i'm very fortunate like bethany you know i'm able to do my clinical role and my supervisor role um, but our senior director um, data and research is something that she's always put as a priority within behavioral health And so I'm like, hey, yeah, I'd love to be a part of this project and help out with this research. And she's like, yeah, sure, go for it. Um, So really fortunate in that aspect. Hannah and Bethany were drawn to working with Indigenous populations for different reasons.
0: Hannah is part of Cherokee Nation and has always wanted to give back to her tribe. Bethany has been long interested in rural populations. And during her transition from clinical practice to public health research, she had the opportunity to work on a grant with Cherokee Nation. Bethany and Hannah shared some unique challenges that they have experienced over the years working with indigenous populations.
1: I grew up in rural Oklahoma. have always um, had a pretty active role within my tribe and so kind of knew that I wanted to give back in some way. I was in the Cherokee Nation Youth Choir, um, which they sang all in the Cherokee language and was involved in language bowls in high school and different activities like that. Um, Cherokee Nation helped fund my college career. You know, they did scholarships for my bachelor's degree, and also my master's degree. And so I knew I wanted to give back to my tribe in some way, and then also to just the Native American population in general. So that's kind of what drew me. Um, and then also I'm a homebody, and so I don't <laughs> stray too far from where I'm comfortable. And Um, Tahlequah, which is the heart of Cherokee Nation. We have about a 7,000 square foot, uh, square mile, excuse me, not square foot, uh, (laughs) jurisdiction um, around the state of Oklahoma. So I'm just fortunate that uh, once I graduated with my bachelor's degree, I was able to find a role within my tribe. And then it just kind of grew from there. What about you,
2: Bethany? So You know, I mentioned earlier kind of my transition from the the more clinical side to the more uh, public health prevention side, and that opportunity came as part of um, the first large grant that we worked on and partnered with Cherokee Nation Behavioral Health. Um, And so, the beginning of the part of my career that was focused on really active prevention, Um, around substance use and young people uh, has always been with Cherokee Nation. Um, And so, you know, that first five-year project, I was part of it and, uh, you know, spent time going out to Cherokee Nation and going to Tahlequah. Um, And there was an interim period where I worked on um, a grant that was not focused um, in that way, but it was still focused on um, of rural, rural areas uh, in a five-state region. One of our five states was Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. And so I still, over the course of those three years, spent a lot of my time uh, traveling into different parts of Oklahoma and doing trainings uh, with different professionals from different backgrounds uh, And so really just more and more of my life has always been going to Oklahoma uh, And so <laughs> when this this opportunity for the second grant uh, came on, I was contacted and asked if I would I would come back um, to do kind of a second, second large partnership. And so I've always been drawn uh, to kind of rural areas, uh, I looked at going more medical when I was in high school. Um, and even in that context, I knew that I wanted to go to uh, underserved rural populations. Mm-hmm. Uh, And so that has always been an interest of mine. And it has just kind of turned out that what that has looked like for me uh, has been this really important partnership and work with Cherokee Nation. Are there any unique opportunities
0: or challenges that come with working alongside Indigenous populations? So I will say
2: for me, um, because I think this work is very important. Um, but I am not native. Mm -hmm. And so for me, kind of individually, it is extremely important to come in with a lot of humility, um, and Constant true collaboration and partnership and oversight um, from the tribe. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that level of engagement with uh, your population that you're working with should exist in all forms of public health research, but it doesn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there's there's a lot of layers, but I think those layers, while they can present challenges are, are crucial and should be present.
1: And I will say, I think this has been one of the most collaborative projects that I've been a part of, because a lot of times we do get different, Agencies or institutions coming in with what they think, an idea of what they think the problems are within our communities or within our tribe um, and really come at it like, you know, we are educated people. This is what we see and here's what we think that you should implement. Um, and that's not been the case on this project. They are very collaborative. Um lots of meetings to discuss, okay, is this applicable with your population in your communities? Is it not, you know, Mm -hmm. is this going to be culturally sensitive? Um, Because really there's not a way to be culturally competent, but is this sensitive? Because we're not just serving, you know, indigenous kiddos with this project. We're serving lots of other kiddos as well, not just Cherokee, Mm -hmm. you know, students, students from other tribes as well, because Oklahoma is, Uh, very assimilated with a lot of our tribes here. Um, So I really appreciate the fact that this project has been so collaborative with us and really sees Cherokee Nation as a partner.
0: You both bring up, I think, just a critical issue in the public health field, including prevention science, is thinking that because we're educated, we know what we're doing um, and thinking that that applies across the board. I think that matters all the time. Like That's never an appropriate behavior, but especially with black and brown populations that have been just historically oppressed by the medical institutions, um, by the field of public health. For as long as it's been around, we haven't treated black and brown people well. Hannah, I like your point that you can't really be culturally competent, Um, but you can be culturally sensitive.
1: Well, I say that not only for other folks, but for myself as well. Um, I don't just work with, like I said, with Cherokee Nation citizens. I work with folks from every tribe. They even Um, people within the tribe, each family has their own set of values and their own set of traditions. Mm -hmm. And so, um, and of course I'm a white passing person. If you look at me, you would not think that I'm native American. Um, and so I want to make sure I'm being sensitive too towards my clients and towards the population that we're working with. So it's a good reminder for myself as well.
2: And I think that's one of, I know it didn't come up as earlier, but I think that's one of the, um, Potentially one of the the challenges, but also one of the exciting aspects of the project that Hannah and I are working on together is a a contrast between um, Hannah's clinical work side uh, as Cherokee Nation serves uh, those um, from federally recognized tribes. The prevention project is going through high schools and it's every kid that's in our cohort in that high school um, and so it is it is a diverse population of of students coming from a, a range of backgrounds um, and a range of situations and circumstances and that's I think that is one of those push-pull challenges uh, on our project of of having this intervention and this prevention work um, be relevant to everyone without swinging too far one way or the other other where we are unintentionally excluding Mm -hmm. a segment of our students and their culture. So that's a challenge, but I think that's one of the exciting aspects of, if we see the results we're hoping for, of it's really exciting to have something that we have seen work in more than one um, population. I mean, I I go back to one of the examples, actually, from early on um, in our first project, so 10 years ago Mm -hmm. uh, we were developing um, postcards that we were sending home to the families and we came with first round of drafts and uh our partners at Cherokee Nation looked at them were like yeah this is nice you have to change all the pictures one of the things that when we were talking about it that came up is we had picked a lot of images that were um inside of homes Mm -hmm. Um, and people's homes look different and if we kind of presented this as this is what this is who we're talking to Mm -hmm. and the parents and caregivers looked at that image and were like this has nothing to do with me because they didn't Mm -hmm. identify at all with the image like we were dead from the get-go. They weren't gonna trust our messaging um, and the information we were trying to get them. And so that, and it goes back again to that partnership and collaboration of, we, we thought we had picked good pictures, we had not. <laughs> um, but that's an easy change, as long as you actually are doing the work and checking in and collaborating, mm-hmm and changing based on it, that's not a big of a deal.
0: Bethany and Hannah have learned many personal and research lessons while working with Indigenous populations, including the value of peer relationships and fighting against imposter syndrome. For young women interested in pursuing prevention science, Bethany suggests exploring different fields of science to understand what opportunities are available. And Hannah wants Indigenous women to know their perspectives and voices are
1: needed in prevention research some lessons that I am still learning is fighting through the imposter syndrome. You know, even when we were asked to do this podcast, I was like, Oh, do I respond to do I not like, I'm not a prevention <laughs> scientist, but am I? Um, and I think that's something that's really followed my career. I've been at Cherokee Nation for almost 12 years now and, yeah. um, always had to fight through, do I belong in this space? Or am I worthy enough to be in this space? And, um, like I said, even just showing up for this interview, I was like, ooh, maybe I'm sick today. Maybe I'm not feeling <laughs> too well. But I think that's something that especially a lot of women experience, no matter what field that they're in, even as a therapist. And I feel like I'm a pretty competent therapist. I've been doing it for a long time. I'm like, I don't know anything. I don't know who allowed me to be in this role and do the work that I'm doing. Um and so lessons learned is just that sometimes our brains are bullies. You know, I teach that to my clients a lot in fighting through that imposter syndrome. And I know that comes a lot from both external forces, but also internal things as well. And um, to just fight through it, find those mentors that encourage you and really appreciate you being in a space and the work that you do. Um, uh, one of the other podcasts, I know they mentioned not just, you know, like uh, mentors that have been in the field longer, but also peer mentors um, something again. Something I really appreciate about Bethany is that she's like, "Listen, I'm glad you're here. I appreciate your input." And I think sometimes we forget to tell that to each other, but it's really so important when we're trying to work through those things um, and do the work that we do.
2: Just to echo what Hannah is saying, that I, I think the the peer is really important, especially uh, through challenges. Just the 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 being able to encourage one another um kind of in the work and uh getting through whatever is happening in the moment um and i I think is is really important um and i am i am thankful um for kind of those those times where kind of even when things are tough like your, your partners are, are there with you. What advice would you provide to a woman who's interested
0: in pursuing a career in prevention science, whether it's someone in high school or college or a career that just isn't in prevention right now?
2: I think the biggest thing for me uh, is when I think about myself younger, but also um, those who may be starting to explore um, different opportunities, is so few young people know we exist. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't know that it's a potential path. Um, and so I think kind of the, the biggest encouragement that I would have is to really start exploring um, different opportunities that, you know, where I grew up, it was doctor, lawyer, engineer. (laughs) Those were your three. Maybe accountant. But exploring uh, kind of the meaningful work and change uh, that you can be involved in, um, in different fields of science, in different ways that prevention kind of interacts with people's lives in um,
1: very meaningful way. I think especially for indigenous women and young women, like knowing that there's a place for them. Um, I think a lot of times it can be very disheartening when you think about places of higher education and in different institutions, um, and that paired with lots of different historical trauma and intergenerational trauma, but there's also a lot of resiliency within mm-hmm. our DNA as well. And there is a place for indigenous women in science and doing the work and Their voices are very important. Our voices are very important. You know, kind of like Bethany was talking about earlier on the collaboration piece, um, Indigenous women especially offer a very unique perspective on things um, when it comes to research. And I think that's really important for young women especially to realize. Thank you for taking the time to speak with
0: me today. And thank you to our listeners for joining us for Women Leading Prevention Science. We hope you enjoyed this episode and that you'll continue to join us as we host candid conversations with some of the most accomplished women in the prevention science field. We hope you'll share this podcast with your prevention science colleagues and with any young women you know that may be interested in pursuing a career in science. The HEAL Prevention Cooperative is funded through the NIH HEAL Initiative, an aggressive effort to speed scientific solutions to curb the national opioid public health crisis. The HEAL Prevention Cooperative includes 10 research projects throughout the country and one coordinating center based at RTI International in Research
1: Triangle Park, North
0: Carolina. For more information on the NIH HEAL Initiative, please visit heal.nih.gov.